Good morning, friends. Um, I want to uh, speak from Psalms 107 today um, in our talk. I know it's been an unusual season for us all, and now we're several weeks into this, and yet I feel like God has really stirred in my heart um, on several levels. I feel like God is at work in some incredible ways. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that God is always working, and so I've been, I have become aware that I'm a pretty impatient person, and I've been waiting for things to happen, and they're not happening as quick as I want them to. Um, but even in that, we've seen, I've seen God personally move in my life and the life of our people. I'm hearing reports constantly from God doing these incredible things. And so once again, I want to look at a psalm, Psalms 107, and uh, have a psalmist. And this is the nature of the psalms. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Is It's very real and authentic in its feeling, and it's very emotive in its expression. And yet the psalms are there to return our hope back to God, to help lift our eyes up. That's, that's the nature of the psalms. These psalms were sung. They were sung at certain parts of the time, and they were sung as a way to uh, remind yourself what you should be putting um, your hope in. Let's read Psalms 107 together. Um, it's a long psalm. We're not going to get to all of it, but maybe the first uh, nine verses. Psalms 107 reads, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in, from the lands, from the east to from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert, desert wastelands, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Pray with me real quickly. Father, as we look at your word, would you show us truth today? Would we see these wondrous works that the psalmist speaks about? Would our mind and our eyes of our, of our heart be lifted upward to you, our great God and heavenly Father in whom we trust pray, Jesus, that we make much of you today. Holy Spirit, would you reveal Jesus to us? Would you bring conviction and encouragement to our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Amid the fleeting things that fail to save and fill us, let me remind you, church, that God comes through on his promises. He always has. He always will. I remind my kids of this, and by way of reminding them, remind myself of this every night. God is a promise-keeping God. I want you to ponder these few things with me that he mentions in this passage. First, the steadfast love of God. The steadfast love of God. Most things in my life are the opposite of steadfast 
immovable, enduring, dependable, never changing, steadfast. That's who God is. But think about the things in our life. Even the things that we thought were steadfast are not steadfast. The things we thought were immovable are not immovable. I can't imagine. I mean, this is stuff that movies are made out of, that we, you know, we basically shut down the world as far as um, the way we live and interact and uh, travel. Someone sent me a picture today. He was in the Detroit airport. He was the only one in the whole terminal. It would just look so weird. You go into grocery stores, department stores, and you see just empty shelves. It just is the craziest thing. Those things are not steadfast, enduring, and immovable. And the psalmist is so aware of that, and he's trying to remind us of that. It's the steadfast love of God. It says here in verse 8, verse eight, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works. Psalm 63 speaks about the same steadfast love of God. You may have heard this before. He says the steadfast love of God is better than life. Think about that with me for a second. Think about all the great things in this life that we enjoy. The laughter of your kids. Better, it's it, the laughter of your kids, a great steak, fajitas specifically, really good queso. Most of the great things in life to me are food. Um, seeing the sunrise over an ocean, our garden in full bloom, fresh cut grass, all these things I like to see, and they're just... Uh, they're just things that bring me joy in life. There are a lot of joys in life, but all of those are just shadows of the greater sus, uh, substance, that being Christ himself. And the psalmist says, let us be caught up. Let us thank the Lord. It says in verse eight, let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love. When's the last time that you took time just to thank God for that? just to thank him for his steadfast love, that his love towards you is not fickle. When you mess up, he's not like, oh, here, here, here we go again. They, they blew it again. When you go to pray, that he doesn't say, man, I don't know if I got time for them. They didn't listen last time I spoke. No, the steadfast love of God, he's not fickle. His, his love for you is not movable or measured. It's immeasurable and immovable. And the psalmist says that we should thank the Lord for his steadfast love. This is one of the things that David even prays for in Psalms 51. Remember, after he is found out in his sin, he prays that God would give him a steadfastness to his spirit. That he would emulate the character of God. God's love is steadfast. That he himself would be steadfast not tossed around by every uh, news story or an article or something that you shared on Facebook. I've been very aware of my own life this week that the smallest things, like I, I read something about good news, that things are getting better, and then I feel better. And then I read things about, man, the, this, is, this is pretty hard, and then I start, I start feeling worse. My prayer is that even of David. God, give me a steadfast spirit. So we should be thankful, the psalmist says, for the steadfast love of God. But not just that, for his wondrous works. The steadfast love of God. This is a refrain you get to in Psalms 107 quite a bit. Just like a refrain in a song that you might sing a couple times. 
That's what it says in verse 8. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And then again in verse 15. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for the wondrous works to the children of man. And then again in verse 21. For the wondrous works to the children of man. Of man, And then again in verse 24, and then again in verse 31, and on and on it keeps going. This is this refrain. The psalmist is trying to, um, in the midst of these, he's telling stories about how bad things have been and how God has come in and redeemed and rescued. But he's, his point is that we should, we should have a thankful heart because of the God that we serve is steadfast. The God that we serve and his wondrous works. What's he thinking of? When you go back to verse 7, he says, he led them by a straight way until they reached a city to dwell in. When they are stranded, when they didn't know the way out, he led them in a straight way, gave them a place to dwell. This is most likely talking about Israel's return from their season of Babylonian exile. And they were in a strange land serving a foreign king. Everything they knew about life was upended in the exile. They didn't have a place to worship. They weren't kept with their families. Everything that they knew all of a sudden changed. And yet, this psalmist says, God was still with you then. He was still watching you then. He's the one that ultimately redeemed and restored you. He gave you a city. He led you by a straight way. I love this. There's been some talk that God doesn't lead us anymore, that we have his word and that his spirit doesn't lead us. But I think through the word of God, by the spirit of God, God absolutely leads us. This is what the psalmist is saying. He led us in a straight way. We should be thankful for the wondrous works of God. This is ultimately a call to worship. You know, sometimes Phil, when he leads us, um, a lot of times that opening song that he would sing is a call to worship. It's to spur us on. It's to cause our eyes to lift up. And we would declare these great truths about who God is. This is what the psalmist is doing here. The steadfast love of God and his wondrous works to the children of men. In other words, let's look at what God has done and what he's doing. Of course, looking forward, the greatest work of God would be the ultimate redemption of man. Not just a city to dwell in, but a heavenly city that he's preparing for us through Jesus. The psalmist calls for thanksgiving and praise for the wondrous works redeeming in the past, but ultimately looking forward to the ultimate and permanent redemption of mankind through the cross of Christ. If those that sang these psalms had a reason to be thankful that God had promised someone that was coming in the future to redeem things, we all the more have something to be so thankful for. Jesus, in his official mission statement when he did come in Luke chapter 4, echoes some of these same themes from this passage. In verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim Proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. His wondrous works are all around us. If you ever doubt God's love for you, look only back as far as the cross of Christ. Jesus said even of himself, greater love has no man than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. There's been a lot of bad news. And I understand the news, that's what they do. They report bad news. 
and even more news. And now we're on a 24-hour cycle of bad news, and there's just more bad, bad news. But as Christians, I'm not saying that we should be um, naive, but we should be eternal optimists. We have seen what God has done in the past. We have his promise to us. What did, what did Paul say? He said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So if I live, right, man, that's just amazing. I get to live and I get to share Christ with everyone and the joy of the Lord with everyone. And yet if I die, it's even better because I get to be face to face with my Savior. Those are the wondrous works. The psalmist didn't know in full exactly what he was speaking of, but we do. If there's anyone that should be optimistic in this time, it's us, church. Just rabid optimism. The next thing he mentions here in the psalm is that he satisfies the longing soul. It's in verse 9. Think about this. He alone satisfies the longing soul. You know, we look to a lot of things to satisfy us. And as Jason even said last week, those things are being shaken. The things that we used to look at to satisfy, approval and status, power and control, the greener grass, maybe a better job or better friends or a better spouse or in the next season of life. But those things ultimately don't satisfy. The psalmist reminds us that it is God and God alone walking with him through the person of Jesus that actually brings satisfaction to our longing soul. I've used this illustration before. You can take a fish out of water and dump a million dollars in cash right on top of him, and the fish is not going to feel any better because he was made for the water. And you and I can fill our lives with so many things. The illusion of power and control. Bigger bank accounts. More and more networks of friends. But our soul was made by God and for God. He alone satisfies the longing soul. This is what the psalmist reminds us of so many times in this passage. Of course, he's talking spiritually. Now, none of us here have everything figured out. There's such a wealth to the nature and character of our relationship with God. But to walk with him brings satisfaction to the longing soul. Psalms 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Maybe you're discouraged or beat up or this has been so wearisome for you. And I'm not discrediting that. So there's some really hard things going on. But James reminds us that we can walk with joy through the hardest of things that life would bring us. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's what revives the soul. This is what the psalmist is calling us back to. The word of God is given to revive souls. The saints' souls need to be restored and revived. That means seasons of hopelessness and disillusionment are going to come, and it's the word of God that's given to us to restore it. I'm reminded of a story of Susanna Wesley. I've shared this with some of you before, but it's so encouraging, and it fits so well in this, as a modern-day example of someone who just knew how to reorient her mind and hopes on Christ. Susanna Wesley was the mother of two boys that literally changed the landscape of Christianity in England and in the U.S. They would become the fathers of the modern uh, Methodism movement. They grew up in a uh, rural village of Epworth, England. 
There's a famous picture that maybe you've seen before of her pulling her kitchen apron over her head while 10 kids are running around in a small living room. Susanna delivered 19 children, but nine, including two sets of twins, died in infancy. Another was accidentally smothered at night by a nurse as Susanna was recovering from labor and delivery. She homeschooled all her kids, so I guess there's hope for us right now, right? They're trying to homeschool her kids. And they were some of the best educated within hundreds of miles. She taught them Greek and Latin. All of them could read by age five. Growing up, she was one of 25 kids. And feeling the pain of that neglect, she didn't want to pass it on to her kids. So she had a rotating schedule where she had spent an hour after dinner for one-on-one -on -one time with each kid on a rotating basis. So on Tuesdays, you know, this person's and so on. Her husband, Sam Samuel, was a pastor of an Anglican church who was hated by his parishioners. Twice they tried to burn down his parsonage where they were living because they hated him so deeply. Little John Wesley, that you may have heard of, was almost killed in a fire in one of those fires because it's something that he would mention later as an adult. They had a very difficult marriage, Samuel and Susanna. They disagreed on nearly everything from politics to how to raise the kids. I guess that means there's hope for us. Her husband was bad at money. On at least one occasion, he spent months in debtor's prison. He was also working on a commentary of Job and would spend weeks away at a time, away from home, leaving Susanna to raise the kids, to care for the home, and to cultivate the small farm by herself. She didn't think her kids were learning enough from the Bible, from the church they attended, so she started an additional Bible study for the family on Sunday afternoons. Evidently, she did such a good job the way she was teaching scriptures and in a way they could be understood, neighbors began to ask if they could come. And she soon grew the after-church crowd to over 200 people who were gathered to listen to her teach the scripture. Early in life, she promised God that she would never spend more time in leisure and entertainment than she did in prayer and Bible study. And even amid the most complex and busy and difficult years of her life as a mother, she still scheduled two hours each day to fellowship with God and with his word. She adhered to this schedule so faithfully that her kids knew and expected it. The challenge was finding a place of privacy in a house filled with overflowing children. Think of a very small house with 10 kids in it. Think of your house twice or three times the size of hers with one or two, how you need to find a place. So her solution was this, and this is brilliant. She would bring her Bible to her favorite chair, and she would throw her long apron up over her head, forming this kind of tent. Every person in the house, from the smallest toddler to the oldest household helpers, knew well to respect this signal. When mom went under the apron, she was talking to God. There, in the privacy of her little tent, she interceded for her husband and her children, and she sowed seeds of the gospel with the deep mysteries of God in the scriptures. This holy discipline equipped her with a thorough and profound knowledge of God. And although you probably have never heard of her, she raised two boys again that would lead one of the greatest revivals in the last 2,000 years. John Wesley was the great revival preacher. Charles Wesley, his brother, was the Hillsong or Bethel songwriter of the day, wrote more than 9,000 hymns. When asked who had the biggest spiritual impact on him, he said, it was certainly my mom. I love this story because it pokes holes in our excuses, really, that we can't find a place or we can't find a time 
this image of Susanna Wesley in a rocking chair with an apron pulled up over her head, devouring the truths of Scripture. He fills the hungry with good things, verse 9 says. He's the bread of life, the river of living water, the very breath of life. And all of our life can be and should be found and rooted in him. Again, we don't have time for this whole psalm, but I do want to end with this one thought. Verse 43, the very end of this psalm, says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to those things, these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of God. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. That word means to focus, to heed and obey. Let him attend to these things. Church, I want to encourage you not to grow numb with all the bad news. And God has promised that he can use this for our good and for his glory. To grow holiness in us, to bring the lost to him. But we've got to listen to the psalmist here. We've got to choose wisdom here. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let's consider the steadfast love of the Lord. I'm going to pray aloud just just a second. And you there, wherever you're watching, in your living room or coffee shop, would you pause just long enough? Would you ask the Holy Spirit that he would speak to you very clearly in your heart? This invitation from the psalmist, from God himself through the inspired pages of Scripture. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Dads, moms, would you remind each other of the steadfast love of God? Would you, parents, remind your kids of the steadfast love of God? Kids, maybe you need to remind your parents of the steadfast love of God. God, I thank you for your love for us. Immovable, unshakable, so powerful. You who opened your mouth and spoke everything into existence. So big and mighty. And yet so personal and intimate that you've invited me to be part of your family. Certainly there's people watching at home that don't know the steadfast love that you have offered us. I pray today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would take a step of faith and place their faith and trust in you. Holy Spirit, would you guide us? Would you lead us? Bring conviction where we've placed our hope in things that fade away. That we would return our hope once to you again. I pray the people of Covenant Church, our people, our faith family, would have this unbridled hope and optimism in this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now worship with us.